I know like COVID impacted the prison system pretty significantly because right. One of the major things that I did hear from um, several people was that, you know, COVID gave an excuse for the prison system to stop visitation. Yep, it did. Yep. Which is a which is a lifeline for a lot of people in prison, and also to put in like a very costly and mendacious uh, virtual visiting system. Mm. Stop mm. religious all sorts of stuff, yeah. And also, COVID spread in the these closed prisons. Yeah, it didn't do anything to stop it. And died. Yeah, yeah. guards, and they knew they had it. Yeah. yeah. That came from people that were in there writing me, telling me that they knew the guards. The guards told them, "I know I have it. Now you got it." Yep. Jesus. Oof. Yeah, and even when, even even in their their lockdowns, they were constantly moving people around in those prisons. Like, it's like they were almost trying to make sure everybody got it. It was very insidious from the outside to, to see what they were doing. It's like, okay, so you're moving people in and out of quarantine to make sure that everybody in the prison gets it because that's what ended up happening. Like chickenpox, I guess. If everybody has it, then you won't get it. Or I don't know. Yeah, which is just not how it works. Right. <laughs> it's not. It's not the pox. No. Right. Well, it's it's also you know just it, I mean it it seems in general that prison is not a especially American prison. It's not a good place for any kind of infection control. It's not safe. Oh no. You know, because one of the things that kind of, I, I mean, you know, technically prisoners are guaranteed care, medical care. Technically. Yeah, technically. Um, but one of the things that does always kind of take me back is, you know, the, the level of health issues that a lot of people develop. And, and, you know, once they're released, because that also, you know, is a major factor in preventing good good return to society if you're sick our state has a hard time finding uh, healthcare workers for the prisons um i'm on a lot of their feeds and they're constantly constantly begging for healthcare workers dentists they just don't have any in there then i ask my the people i know in there and they're like oh yeah there's like a four-month wait list for the dentist and my tooth fell out and it's just abscessed and like oh wow yeah i always chuckle <laughs> and they people, don't pay people, people say, well either People say prisoners get free health care. And I'm like, well, that's true, except for it's not free or health care. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, that's right. But do you actually have to pay? Yeah. Is there- <laughs> it's- oh, yeah, okay. So- okay. There was when I was in there. It was three dollars. Yeah. Back yeah, in my was- time. It- <laughs> yeah, we had to pay three dollars per visit when I was in there. And people, oh, it's only three dollars. Like, yeah, that's a day and a half's wages. That's do you crazy. pay a day and a half's wages for a copay? Oh, you don't. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah, also that in New York, that's where I am, so I'm sort of always referring to that, of the 19 people who died at this one prison, Rikers. I see that. Most of them said that they needed medical care, but they had to wait, you know, and so obviously they died before they got it, or they needed to get their medication and they didn't. I saw that. Which is also a really common feature that I've seen a lot of i mean i think that's more of a jail issue than a prison issue um what's the difference between jail and prison jails isn't jail the place you go to immediately and then prison is longer yeah prison and jail's dead time there's like nothing to do in jail usually <laughs> you need to sit there for your trial and then go back and wait for your next trial and go back and wait till you go to prison and then prison is a movement there's more stuff to it's really not that much, <laughs> but it's more. Right. Yeah, jail is basically pre-trial hold and prison is post-trial time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jail time sucks. I did two and a half years in a county jail and it was the worst oh, time because there's just yeah. nothing to do there. Nothing. Oh, no time. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of time in, in county. Now, when I was in county, they did put juveniles with adults. So I was with all these old people, and they were teaching me how to be a criminal and everything. Oh, yeah, I, no, yeah. I was sold up with a juvenile when I was in there. Taught me how to play Pinochle. I never knew anything. Like I didn't. Have, I never knew how to play a card game. Now I'm like a master. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Join the circuit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pinochle becomes second nature when you're locked up for very long. Can I ask, another, can I ask another dumb question? What is Pinochle? <laughs> it's a card game. 
it's like uh yeah it's 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 interesting they take isn't it isn't it jeremy two it's two of the decks or yeah two three two pinnacle decks yeah yeah and you put these decks together and they're huge all these yeah it's it's an interesting game it's a lot of counting numbers and uh, knowing what yeah it's a yeah. lot of work <laughs> you play you play enough hands of pinnacle and you can already like you can automatically just see how each one's going to play out because you've just seen it a thousand times there's no mystery to it anymore it's like oh nope. that's how this is going to go and then it does <laughs> <laughs> right, right, and so presumably, presumably, yeah. it's a way of um, sort of actually staying sane, right? In the sense that you can really engage your <laughs> you know, brain. Yeah, I've seen people get into fist fights over pinochle games, <laughs> right? right. <I> <laughs> Whatever, <laughs> or some uh, dessert or something. Yeah, yeah. We used to gamble for for uh, cakes. That's we, what we did. Yeah, gamble for cakes. <laughs> <laughs> 30 cakes in my room at all times. I ate so much damn cake. Is that from the commissary? No, the kitchen. It's in our tray, yeah. Yeah, well, they make. I came from a really small county. So they made a lady that worked there. She's from Germany. And so she made everything homemade breads and oh, pasta, nice. cakes. So I was really spoiled when I was in county jail. But as soon as I left, she retired. So now she's no more. <laughs> <laughs> no more cake. No more cake. <laughs> right, because diabetes is actually pretty, pretty common. <laughs> yeah, it's from the cake. But I was thinking, like, if 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 they did like bakery classes in prison, you could essentially print your own money, right? Basically, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cake is there. Cake, money. <laughs> it's, not, it's not. It's not bad currency. It's better than top ramen, which is the standard operating currency. Not right. Enough. Well, that's also, you know, learning to bake would actually be an employable skill. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. afraid I'm going to have to go. So I want to say goodbye and thank you to our guests. No worries, I'm Harriet. Sure have to go. So bye bye. Thank you so much. Bye, Harriet. She, 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 she usually leaves earlier than us. Oh. Uh, Yes. It's a lie. She's just gone to get cake. Oh, that, I don't blame her. I don't blame her. <laughs> I, do have a, I do have a question. I remembered my question. And my question is that, like, generally for if you were if you were to do, like, a successful transition out of prison, how long do you think it would take reasonably for people to prepare before they leave? And what um, services and needs do you think people have in this area? I would say over, you would have, I would say oh, nowadays over a year, you should start preparing. Um, I tell people you should start preparing the day you get there, but you know, then a lot of them don't like to do that. But I say at least a year before you get, you should be really, you know, hitting the ground, trying to do as much research as you can by how you can, either through your counselor, um, through family, through friends, through word of mouth, whatever, however you get that uh, information. A lot of people reach out to me, they'll write me letters. Um, so I'll get their JPay and I'll help them um, within their transition period and help them, you know, give them resources, give them information. Even if they don't come to our program, I still help them. I give my, you know, give my time for that. Um, and uh, yeah, so I believe a year um, or more is great for um, your transition uh, to get your uh, re-entry set before you get out. And then when you, right when you first get out, it's integrative re-entry. You know, you are hitting the ground running. You are, you know, um, we're getting your bus passes set. We're trying to get clothing for you. Um, we're trying to get uh, food stamps set up. We're trying to get um, any of your medical set up, um, any type of DOC requirements we're trying to get done, any type of registration, any type of checking in with your CCO. Um, so the first 30 days is pretty busy for the people when they get out because they're trying to get everything set up um and then after that um you know they're i would say about a year to two years and and even some people i know six seven eight ten years later they're still transitioning they're still re-entering um i believe we re-enter through the rest of our lives it takes that long to really reintegrate back in here and really feel like you're part of the community and um you know and, and to, to feel like that so yeah definitely uh, uh at least a year before before someone hits the gate, they should start planning those things out. Um, and I, I tell people who who get referred to me that if I if I get them with less than a year to the gate, then um, we we I always wish that I would have gotten them on my caseload sooner. And even with 
prepping a year before they hit the gate, they're still going to go past their release date because everybody does. Um, and really, and, and with Joshua, all everything that Joshua said is is true, including the 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 part where we're reintegrating for the rest of our lives. That's that's very real um, because even you know, ten years out right now, and I've got a place to live and a job, and I'm you know, by all accounts you know, functioning pretty well, a couple of background checks could collapse this all around me. I'm not actually really part of society. I mean, yeah. I, I participate as best I can, but that rug can get yanked out from under me at any moment. And I know that. <clears throat> now, luckily, I've got really good family support, so I'm not just going to, you know, go homeless and hungry. They would they would help me. They would take care of me. Um, but there's there's no real place for me here. That's not... I'm always scrambling to find my little spot, but I know there actually really isn't one. That's that's a heavy psychic burden. For real. It's true. <laughs> touched on that, Jeremy, and I feel the exact same way. Oh my goodness. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I feel like that that could be a whole other conversation in itself. Um but yeah, I think that's probably one of the most important, you know, one of the things that I've always said about policy is I've always said, like, you know, if if somebody has served their time, that it shouldn't be, they shouldn't be punished for it, right? You know, and, and we have a society that, um, unfortunately, like you said, you, you, you end up carrying a lifelong burden. Yeah. We, we kind of have this mentality that we always we always sort of need a boogeyman. It's this weird thing that we just kind of have to have. And I think I think in general people have to have a boogeyman so that they don't have to look at their own stuff because that's yep. that's even scarier. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And so having an external boogeyman is really important for people. And yeah. Yeah. Displacement, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, like back in the in the in the eighties. The absolute worst thing anybody could be, the most detestable thing you could be, was a, a drug dealer. And so mm -hmm. people, people had a, a, a caricature of drug dealers. And then in, in around like 93, when registration laws started getting passed, the worst, absolute worst possible thing you could ever be is a sex offender. Yeah. And then at some point, we kind of transitioned into the worst thing you can be as a terrorist. Yeah. But, but we always need a boogeyman. Yeah. Well, I think we always need a boogeyman because ultimately society generally doesn't really care to solve problems <laughs> in society. Right, right. Um, so that boogeyman just kind of functions as a displacement function for that. But, you know, ultimately, yeah, it's, it's you know, that's one of the the major struggles that a lot of people that I've come across in, in drug treatment have is, is that transition period and, you know, and what greater society can do to help ease that process, I think is, you know, because from what I hear from you guys, from what I hear from everyone else that has gone through that experience, you know, it's usually you guys doing all the work. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. America, right? and like, of, you know, and, and greater society just kind of being like, oh, like this is none of our business. Right. America is kind of uniquely poised to not deal with societal problems because dealing with societal problems would mean admitting we're not perfect. And that's just not something that our collective conscious does. American exceptionalism really prevents us from actually tackling real social problems because it it requires us to admit that we're not as awesome as we thought and we're not prepared to do that yeah right but though there's money to it there's that part to it there's this yeah and the voting and the people and yeah it's it's a dynamic right <laughs> yeah it's it's pretty toxic it is it's an ugly cycle it's an ugly cycle well i mean it's it's ultimately an ugly cycle because you know we have an issue where things are getting a lot worse, not better. Um, you know, one of the things, yeah, I mean, the the huge, you know, we're going to talk gender, the huge explosion in like women in women's prisons. Mm -hmm. Right. In terms of number, 
Um, you know, and and I know that, you know, there are some gender transition issues um, that. Oh, can, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know neither one of you. Oh, do you guys work with women as well? I yeah. work with. So I work with our female facility. Okay. We take uh, we're the only program in the state of Washington that will take um, trans people. So we take trans male to female and female to male, as well as we take anybody LGBTQ plus, as well as our leadership and board is all LGBTQ plus. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, we work with Purdy. I work with other counselors and people inside there. So I've got I've got people on my on my caseload in the women's facilities as well. Okay. Would you talk to like maybe about some of the issues that women face in in you know reentry that is different from maybe slightly different from men? I've noticed just with the program that I have here and watching and case working with these uh, the people that come out, um, I noticed that the the female to male trans people that come out they have a huge support system, the biggest support system that I've ever seen anybody have uh, in regards to you know being in reentry. It's usually the the people coming from Purdy. Um, they have a huge support system within that facility. Uh, Purdy uh, runs differently than any male facility in the state. Um, they're funded differently. They get a whole lot of different resources as well as they have legislators that go there all the time. So they're constantly getting all the, you know, everything is wonderful at Purdy. So they got all this support, all these uh, resources, all this community support. I have people calling me left and right for this new person that we have coming from Purdy. And they're like, oh, we got all this for him. We got this. Don't worry about that. Uh-uh, we got them here. Uh-uh, they got, I'm just like, wow, I'm blown away sometimes. I mean, I love it, but it, it also kind of I don't know if it kind of it kind of worries me because I I see the male side, you know, the male population coming from male prisons. Uh, it just never happens like that. I've never seen that. So that's the that's the difference. I so they have a huge support system. Um, they have you know they just got a lot of people that are backing them. Um, and every single one that has come to our program has succeeded and has gone on to college or onto a great career and live within the community now. So. That's how I've seen, uh, you know, them come out and, and be able to transition. So we, we handle things differently because we tend to have a, an assumption that uh, men in prison can't change and that women can. There it is. Yeah. So we, 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 we put the resources where our assumptions are. We assume that women who go to prison had circumstances that got them there and they made poor decisions based on their circumstances, but they can change. And none of those assumptions are, we don't make those assumptions about men, even though they're, that's all true for both people. <laughs> Correct. Right. Yeah. Right. That, that's not, you know, the, the process or the ability to change is not a gendered. Right. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a, it's a person thing. People can change. Yes. Yeah. Because- no, I was, I was, um, like I said, I, I'm really, um, I'm on a lot of the social medias for DOC and, you know, a lot of their posts come from Purdy and out to, um, one of the, my friends that works for DOC and I asked him the question in regards to that. I said, well, why don't you guys do the same things you guys do in Purdy for the male prisons? I was like, the guys could use Christmas presents. The guys could use uplift. The guys could use a New Year's Eve celebration. The guys could use the coming in and hanging out with them for the day. The guys could use this and that. They don't do anything for the guys. They get nothing. The women get, you know, Santa Claus and big old giant reindeer on the yard. Oh, it's all in their pictures. And and it just really bothered me. Um, so yeah, um, a lot of that kind of bothers me sometimes, but you know, right. it is what it, go ahead. Oh yeah. No, I was just, you know, I, it, it's kind of, that's one of the things that I've realized about working in social services is how shortchanged men are. Yeah. In social services, I mean, for, you know, for all the talk about the patriarchy, it, it patriarchy only works for like successful men and yeah, nobody yeah. else, right? Um, yeah, the, the patriarchy still needs a whole bunch of men to be at the bottom of the of the ladder. Yeah. Right, right. You That's know, and, <laughs> right, and and it is kind of it is it it, it does like on one hand it is really nice to see that there is you know right like you know things like party and, and i'm assuming party is the the women's correctional yes. system right correct 
Yes, is sir. it a specific facility or is it the the system for the state? It's the main institution and they do have a camp, but that's their main institution that the women are at. That's, it holds minimum, medium and closed custody. Okay. Okay. And, and, and so it's one of those things where in terms of like potential reform, you see that in that system, but how that is kind of removed and, and not, you know, given to men. Absolutely. It's heartbreaking. It is. It is because I, I see the need and it can happen. That's what I don't understand. Why isn't it happening? Why, why, why? And, and like Jeremy said, though, that how Jeremy said it is why it's why it's happening. Yeah, we can't even fathom the the notion that that men in prison like miss their kids. You know, yeah, they they, they, lo- they still love their wives. You know, like we don't we don't fathom those things about men in prison, and just uh, you know apply some some human characteristics to them, which which are all true. Like all of those those experiences are are happening to men as well. Like they miss their wives, they miss their life, they regret losing their job, they wish they could see their kids more. All of that stuff is true for men too. Yeah, and they cry too. They cry, yeah. yeah. Like, it's it's rough. It is. And, uh, yeah, they feel disconnected from their families at, at Christmas time. All, all the same stuff. Yeah, and they stopped all those Christmas programs they had inside for the guys. It's all gone. They, they took everything away yeah. to the point where they any type of real other than just regular visits that's all they've got and right now they're still limited because of covid they still keep using covid as an excuse i went and visited a, a friend of mine uh, a couple weekends ago and they had us all you know separated i could barely talk to them through a mask and it was just yeah it was it was tough but yeah it's like yeah. a self-fulfilling prophecy in the sense of like this talk of how men are or or who they should be or how they should be in toxic masculinity. It's like, well, yeah, if you're going to remove anything that allows men to emote or flourish, then, uh, yeah, surprise, surprise if yeah. it becomes yeah. a super aggressive space or place because you've denied them that part of their humanity. Yeah, absolutely. That's why you need that Will Ferrell dancing movie. That's right. That's... <laughs> That's that's what'll fix it right there. We need to go (laughs) What do you think? What in terms of countering some of like the general colloquial um, understanding? Like, what is some of the 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 biggest things that you would want people to understand about you know reentry? That it could happen to anybody. That it could be your best friend, it could be your child, and that um, it, it support reentry in any way you can. I mean, because it could be your son, it could be your daughter, it could be your cousin, it could be your mother and or father. Um, so yeah, and we're human beings, and uh, we're just struggling to try to um, become the best we can be with under the circumstances. So yeah, and 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 I would I would encourage people to, to understand that when somebody releases from prison, they're in your community regardless of how you treat them and regardless of what resources you give them. So if you want to have healthy, uh, productive people in your community, you're, you're going to have to focus on some some reentry assistance because they're, they're releasing whether you demonize them or not. So it's not even like even the most self-serving person out there has to realize that it's in everybody's best interest to make sure that people have a soft landing and can reintegrate into society because the alternative is worse for everybody, not just the person who's trying to release. Right. You know, people people tend to to we 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 like to to focus on on somebody recommitting a crime or reoffending and and going back to prison, but for every time that happens, there's a victim at the end of that. Um, so the the way we handle people coming out of prison is going to affect all of us, not just the person who's coming out. So we need to make better choices, even if it's just a matter of self-preservation, um, because the person who's who's the victim of the next crime, if we if we uh, don't successfully integrate people into society, the person who's who's the victim of the next crime doesn't have to be. We can do a better job. That's right. Right. Great points. Is is reentry the sort of official term for this, or is that just a term you used? 
that's the term that it seems like everybody has been using the last, I don't know, five, ten years. Uh, they also call it a warm handoff. Um, I've heard it called that. Um, but reentry or, yeah, reentry is about our second chances too. I've heard it second chances, but reentry, second chance, all kind of falls under the same umbrella because somebody that, um, you know, is getting a second chance at housing or employment or resources or even, you know, getting out of prison is a second chance. So, mm. yeah. It has a certain sort of uh, visual element to it because you know when you said re-entry I was immediately thinking of like um you know all those space uh space capsules that come down from you know with the nasa and it's like yeah you put parachutes on them yeah you rescue them That's when right. they land in the sea right I thought yeah. re-entry is such a good term um for sort of describing what you need yeah it is kind of like you know going from like one planet to the other it seems like in in a the, the capsule the capsule is not as scary <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are some of the things that you know that like for any for any of our listeners who are anticipating you know whether it's a friend or a family member or loved one um you know is leaving prison soon what what advice do you have for them in terms of being supportive um just being a listener for sure um because you know they need someone to listen to sometimes, especially most of the ones that I've ever talked to. Everybody wants, you know, someone, uh, a shoulder to lean on and someone to support them in any way um, that they can. Um, so just super support, um, just being there for them and knowing that um, you're going to support them once they are released. That is a big thing, knowing that you're going to be there for them. Um, yeah, so that kind of stuff. I think that's one of the most important things if you're if you've got somebody you know, a loved one coming out of prison, it, it's huge to make sure that they know that you are there and that you support them. Because uh, most of the time, what gets somebody to prison in the first place is carrying a whole bunch of things themselves that they were not able to carry themselves. Um, mm -hmm. And then it it collapses and, and goes bad places. You have to let people coming out of prison know that they don't have to carry all that by themselves. Um, because it's it's too much, right? And they're probably now carrying a lot more <laughs> from from the trauma in prison. Yeah. They, oh, yeah. They need to be able to say the true things that are in there, and not have to to handle everything alone. Yeah. Are there um, virtual? You know, whether it's online or or whether it's real life, are there like peer to peer support? groups support groups for re-entry out here um just in in general out there and in general I like peer-to-peer -peer support or any type of thing like that we we do have like for the lgbtq plus uh trans people inside i know that we have a new administrator for that um mm -hmm. and she allows um uh you know um those little uh zoom calls uh for her so she could support them or or issues they may have but i think for the general population i don't think there's anything available for them to do that unless they have resources themselves um now when they get out here oh there's king county washington has so many resources uh we're very blessed to be in this county we're very blessed to be in this state um so if they're coming to king county washington they have everything uh, yeah. we can find everything for them i have jeremy over here that you know like he said they have the clothing bank or they have financial assistance i send my people to him for all that um so yeah there's there's lots of lots of uh resources plus you know we have our symposiums uh, quarterly so that brings out more people that you know there's more resources that we haven't even heard of so yeah i was i was i'm, I'm finding people every day that have something that somebody needs king, yeah. king, king county is as, about as good as it it's gonna get probably <laughs> probably anywhere really <laughs> yeah and, and even then there's the, there's some there's some big gaps but i i encourage like like if if um if anybody that's on on my caseload has good family support i i do let them know that their families can can contact me as well and i'll work with them to to see you know how things are going, what gaps we might need to fill, even just a lot of times to encourage them that what they're doing is is, is good and that the person that's coming out is going to to need that. So I, I talk to a lot of families actually. 
guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, while you say that the support system is good, there are still gaps. Do you want to talk about what some of the gaps are, aside from the ones that we've covered already with like housing and employment? Well, so in King County, there's, I mean, if I'm being honest, a lot of the gaps that we have for people who are, who are coming out of prison are uh, gaps that we just have. There are uh, huge discrepancies between how much money somebody can make and how much they need to actually live. Um, right. So that's that's a huge gap. And that's a gap that we all face um, out here. There's housing insecurity and food insecurity and all the stuff that we all just have to face in King County. It, it's just magnified for people who are coming out of prison. Right. Because, you know, things like housing and, and jobs are a lot more right. fraught. Yeah. When, if, if housing were guaranteed, I wouldn't be looking out my window at people who don't have it every day. Right. And they're and they're they're not coming out of prison. They just couldn't make it. You know, it's, right. it's, a, it's it's a hard place to actually make it. It is. Yeah. Which is, it's, it's kind of it's kind of a, a back kind of thing, because the people that are on on my case, I kind of encourage them to get a county transfer to come to King County because there are some release resources here. But at the back end of that, I'm like, also it's going to be really hard to make it here. So it's like, uh, it, it's right. It's, it's because county is fairly expensive, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a mixed bag on that front. What's the average rent in, in King County right now? <sighs> Off know? the top of my head. I don't know. I think the average rent for a one bedroom apartment is in the $1,600 range in King County. Yeah. Around right. there, Josh. Yeah. I do rental properties too. Yeah. It's about 1700 median is our for a one bedroom. But then if you get in downtown Seattle, oh, no, you're it just shoots oh, yeah. up. And you're not going up. there. That's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you stay inside the perimeter. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, I mean, 1700 you know, they, they say what that your income should be. Uh, rent should be what, like maximum 30 percent is, 30%. I think. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're looking at at a at a two thousand dollar rent, that presupposes that somebody's making six thousand dollars a month, and it's like, okay, well, good luck with that, right? Yeah. And it's like, even even if you even if you make enough money that you could probably afford the rent, you won't qualify for the lease. It's like, okay, well, mm-hmm. yeah. So housing, you would say, is probably one of the core reentry issues. Hundred percent. I I send people to Josh all the time. Um, one, because uh, I like what they do down there where he works. And also there's very other, very few other places where I could refer people for housing. Um, my organization has opened up a house in Portland this year. And we're hoping to up, open up some housing in King County next year. But it's the it's the number one biggest hurdle. It is. It's the reason why people stay past their release dates is because they don't have anywhere to go. Yeah, we're trying Can to you not get released if you don't have a place to go. Correct. Yeah, you stay in. You stay in. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that I did not know. I thought yeah. they released you regardless of they're like, you're out. Get out. If you have a max date, if you have a max date and you hit your max date, then they'll kick you out homeless. But no, most of the people that I deal with don't have that. Most of the people that I deal with have an indeterminate sentence. So they can just stay in there forever. Forever. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, it sounds kind of like a, a, a horror show either way. It is. <laughs> you're correct. Right. Yeah, you know that like you're you're reaching the max date, so like you're gonna get kicked out and end up homeless. But then you could also have an indeterminate where you could end up in prison forever just through the lack of housing. And I will say that people, yeah. the people on my on my caseload that have been kicked out homeless, uh, they just go back. Yeah, every time you say like that's almost a hundred percent. Yeah, it is one hundred percent. Yeah, everybody at least our program early and thinks they know what they're doing before they need to know what they're doing. <laughs> they usually end up back or they end up something's going on. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I've been out 10 years and I still don't have any illusions that I really know what I'm doing. Yeah, it's been right, 20 well, yeah. That's an that's a, that's, that's a, that's a interesting um, uh, point. Like, can you, you know, like elucidate a little bit more on what some of the major what you see in terms of what people need to know that leaving early ends up being a severe disadvantage uh to the program yeah well if you leave early if you're in a structured program a reentry program that's trying to assist you and you leave early well the risk is going to be um you know reincarceration homelessness um you know anything under those umbrellas um 
So we always try to tell everybody that, yeah, it might be six months. You've been here six months. You might have a good job. You might have um, a new car, but you don't pay any bills really other than your car payment and your cell phone bill. You've, you've never, ever had an apartment on your own. You haven't done anything on your own. Um, so to stay here, try to figure it out and then research that kind of stuff before you even get out. And, and we always tell them to save. We have a huge savings uh, thing that we try to get everybody to at least have $4,000 before they leave our program. You know, that way. They have a, you know, they have a cushion of some sort. That way, if anything was to happen, they'd at least have something um, to right. fall back on. But I always say, go for the sky. I have ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars in there. But you know, I just, um, so yeah. So getting so, out and structured um, reentry plan um, is probably not the best thing. So you should have a reentry plan before you get out. Yeah. Okay. And, and it has to be flexible. Yeah, it does because things they, change. Yeah, and they change without asking, and there's so many things that you can't foresee. It's good to have a plan, and and it's good to make that plan fluid, and yes. get and get input from other people as the plan is fluid. Is your reentry plan? Are you guys like a halfway house in terms of like going from a like you're you're saying yeah you know, because people prison always being a very structured environment, right? Yeah, um, like what? What kind of structure is present in your reentry program? That is in our reentry program, we thirty. We we'll call it a thirty-day blackout. It's not a real blackout like at a drug treatment facility. It's more of a blackout to take a deep breath, figure out. Uh, most of the time, people come out; they have a reentry plan. So usually, the thirty days they're already implementing everything inside the reentry plan. So that's their first thirty days, getting everything lined up, getting their medical, getting everything seamlessly put together, so that when they're ready to go out and get that job, get ready to go out and uh, go to the school or go out and get a trade, they're ready and prepared. So that's what we do for our first thirty days. Um, and then within that first thirty days, we do take them to any essential trip they need to go to. So we take them to any doctor's appointments, any medical. Uh, any um, uh, DOC appointments, um, any court-ordered appointments. We also take them shopping uh, to get groceries, uh, toiletries, things like that. So that's that first 30 days because um, obviously you're going to get out. You're not going to have a car. So that's why we do that. And so then after the first 30 days, they're implemented usually into work, um, school, they got a program while they're with us. They also have case managers. Uh, they meet with their case managers twice to one time a week, depending on the person. It's always a case-by-case -case basis with every person we get here because uh, everybody's different. And so um, we case manage them. Uh, we uh, help them with their finances. We keep. Uh, um, we have a goal tracker where every week we do SMART goals. It's a SMART goal system. So we have a you know a, rea a reality of a goal a goal that you can actually you know really be able to accomplish um and most of our goals are like six month out goals so you know i can watch them attain their goals while they're here um and then uh you know we have three phases we have phase one two and three phase one you have to have um a thousand dollars in your bank uh, savings account to move on to that phase and then in that phase you get one weekend away so you get one weekend um, every month to go spend with your family, to go spend with a loved one, go spend with friends, um, however that is, as long as it's appropriate and approved by DOC. Um, and then after you move to phase two, phase two, um, you have to have three thousand or $2,000 to move into phase two in your savings. Um, and then in phase two, uh, we help integrate you more towards into the transition. Um, case managers usually um, more help them at that time looking for possible housing if they're wanting that um, or just helping them on whatever it is they may need help on, um, depending if it's employment or schooling or if it's it, sometimes it's even personal stuff we'll help them with, um, like family issues or family uh, problems or concerns, or we'll send them out to Cell Mental Health, who we work with as well. And then phase three is obviously our last phase. In that phase, you have to have $5,000 in your savings. Um, you have to have completed all of your SMART goals throughout your other phases, as well as you have to be employing and or going to school. Um, and in that phase, you were pretty much um, self-sufficient. You're able to come and go as you please. You don't have to sign in and out. And you no longer have to text your case manager. Normally, we have them text when they leave, text when they come back. That's a point-to-point -point because we want to make sure that they are accountable and that if any type of um, 
any type of uh, somebody wants to say something, we would have documentation and pings from their phone that they could check on a satellite. So that's why we have that check-in system like that. But as soon as they're phase three, they don't have to do a lot. Um, and then eventually they can stay phase three for up to six more months or up to a year. Some people are stay, have stayed six years with us. Um, so we don't have oh, a... Wow. Yeah, we don't have a set time that they have to leave, um, but we do try to encourage that they do move on because, you know, we want to see them grow in the community and we want to see all their accomplishments put to work in the community because that's what we're here for. We're here to build people and put them in the community so they can be productive members of society and give back, you know, so that's mm-hmm. a little gist for him. <laughs> well, so, so this is kind of like a residential facility. Correct. Yeah. And we have two abilities. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And yeah, then I think, you know. I think the key word there is build, right? Like it sounds, Correct. you know, like that whole thing that, that was spoken about earlier, this uh, with the, the teen um, camps where they tear people down and supposedly build them up, but the building up part is missing. It sounds yeah. really impressive, right? That sounds like a, a really worked out plan to help someone just you know, uh, guide them um, to build to, to build some kind of life. It, yeah, it's it sounds really cool, and it, you know, just the nerd part of me. I mean, it also sounds a bit like a video game, you know, like an RPG. Yeah. You've got all these levels that you're trying to get <laughs> yeah. to. Yeah, it's amazing. But we but we found that you know, obviously, being in prison, we were always given like, oh, if you guys do this, you get this. If you guys do this, you get that. So. We found it in our minds when we built the program that that would be a great incentive is to give incentives for people to move through our program. So that's what that's for. It's incentives. It's like, you know, the first, you know, phase one, you get your one uh, one weekend out a month. And then phase two, you get uh, two weekends out a month, you know. So it's, it's just incentives and stuff to help, you know, give them incentives and also have them on the right track of doing the right thing as well. And, and they enjoy it. And um, a lot of the people that leave our program, they come back and they come visit us. They email me, you you know, they're just a lot of them are doing very good in the community, you know, and those that aren't hopefully I'll have another chance in life and, and be able to do it over again when they get out. So have you had to fine tune that? Because I know that like the external goals, you know, do this and you get this can work mm-hmm. for some things in certain circumstances, but sometimes they can divorce you from the internal you know, reward that you might get from doing it. Right. So have you ever had to wrestle with uh, you know, oh, uh, yeah. We, yeah, we we get hard headed people that don't want to do stuff in that. And that, like I said, it's a case by case basis. So, you know, each person is individual. Each person has their own past. Um, so we try to work with all of that. You know, when I first when I do my case management, I sit down and I'm like a I'm like a friend. I'm like, um, you know, an old friend that just wants to sit and help you wherever you're at. You know, um, and sometimes they just, you know, they'll they'll just indulge in everything. They'll tell me everything all the way back from the day that, you know, they were kids, you know, and um, it helps to understand who they are as well as help plan their case management throughout the program. So, yeah, we get people that come in and say, I ain't doing this. I ain't doing that. I did this in prison and I ain't doing this out here. I'm free. I can do whatever I want. And then we say, well, you signed all these, (laughs) you know, you signed an initial, the whole, you know, application and. And, you know, we, we need to have you see this through. Um, we don't want to see you fail and we don't want to have to, you know, report this to your uh, probation officer. And that's usually what's, you know, they, they'll snap around and be like, oh, OK, and they're out there doing what they need. to do. <laughs> usually, you know, as long as you as long as you throw that in there. But, you know, no nine times out of ten, I really don't get a lot of people like that. Um, mm. I, I out of the screening for people coming through. Um, so I do a lot of over the phone interviews. I talk with counselors. I talk with friends and family um, before I do my acceptance of them into our program. So, yeah, so there's a lot that goes into it. But, yeah, um, we do find we, we do change and tweak things here and there to uh, either add a different stipulation or because we do have rules. You know, they do have to abide by certain rules, um, you know, curfews 10 p.m. unless they're working beyond that. So there's certain things that we do have um, to make sure there is structure within um, the facilities that these people are housed in and, and that they live in. So, yeah, it sounds great. It sounds. Yeah. Yeah. How many people go through your program in a given year and what's the percentage, you know, of people going through your program versus like the general, like how many people are released every year 
you know, in King County, do you know, and how many percentage of people enter into your program? Yeah, I, I was, I think, uh, I was at the Capitol the other day and we're, we're talking about statistics. I believe they were saying like 17,000 a year are released in this area, I believe, but I could be wrong, but, um, people coming yeah, that is a lot. We do get a lot in this county. Yeah, we get an influx. It, it's so bad that DOC um, can't keep up with it. Like, they're constantly calling me, telling me that <laughs> what we can't today because I can't get approval. Mm-hmm. I was like, so you're going to make there for another 35 days because you can't get to approving their address, which is approvable. We work for D- We work with DOC. This is an approved address. Oh, yeah, but we just don't have the staff. Uh, and so the counselors are calling us. So there's a lot of you know, legalities and loopholes sometimes that unfortunately people fall through, but we try to do our best to make sure that they, that they do get out and that they do come here. Um, but yeah, so we have a huge percentage um, that come to King County. I think it's the biggest percentage in the whole state that comes to King County. And I think second is uh, Snohomish County and then Pierce County. And how many people go through your program specifically every year? I would say about 150 people come through a program within a year. Um, we hold 30 people here at this facility, and we can hold up to 13 or 11 people at the house. Um, so, yeah, a lot of those people didn't, don't stay long. Um, that's why we get the 100 and some. A lot of them will come through. They won't, don't want to do the structured program. Um, they figure they know everything, and they just kind of leave. And a lot of those, like I said, do go back um, to incarceration, unfortunately. Um, but the ones that do stick it out and stay here, um, they're usually the long haul, usually up to a year. Okay. That's, that's a, that's a fair number. That's a lot of people. Yes. And one, we're looking, one organization, yeah. you know, yeah. to, looking to uh, purchase another property, but like me and Jeremy were talking about, it is really tough to purchase properties in, in this area. Um, because, um, well, they want to make sure they're, you know, so far away from this, so far away from that. Um, and then if there's too many in an area, then you can't have them. That's another thing, too. You can't have any, um, transitional homes in one set area in King County. So it's it's kind of troublesome. But we're looking and we want to expand because, like we were talking, we're the only program within the state that takes LGBTQ plus people. So, yeah. Right. Right. And I, I really think like, you know, the 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 it seems like, you know, the people given, you know, having being able to build up savings while they're in there mm-hmm. and having that savings as they transition out seems like a really important part of the success of. Absolutely. Yeah. Money is a lot, you know, especially if you have a felony, especially, you know, if you're transitioning from prison, especially even if you don't have family support, you know, you got to have that money. That money's going to protect you. That money's going to keep a roof over your head. That money's going to, yeah, support you when you need it. 100%. Money's a biggie. Yeah. Uh, and how much know. does cake feature in this uh, program? Predominantly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every level of progression is from cake. How, right? how much cake do you have? <laughs> oh, I also wanted to say that our um, state gate money was $40 forever. Even I got the $40, which didn't do anything. But now this year, they've changed it. It's $300. So that's that's a that's a nice thing. And plus, they every year. They 300 Dang. It's 300 and it'll go up a percentage every year, just like inflation. It never did that before, ever. That's why it stayed oh. 40 since 1980-something. So, yeah, this is the first time in history that they've changed it to 300 So Right, and that's statewide or Washington? State, Washington State, all offenders releasing uh, after, I think, June, whenever the bill goes into effect, um, they will all get $300. Right. I mean, it's not much, but it's definitely much more usable than 40 in- but they were saying, yeah, yeah. You know, because like a, a, a suit will, you know, a suit and couple of like necessities will easily run you, you know, well over 300. But I'm glad that there's been an increase. Um, are there any specific policies in your state that you want people to know about that they should be interested in supporting? Um, Just there's no policy right now going through for re-entry as other than the $300 gate money change and um, 
there was another change. Oh, the other change, I believe. Oh, the other change is the um, percents that go in. You know, when you get money sent in, they take like 10% out for this, 30% out for that. They can't do that anymore. That's going to end coming June 1st as well, I believe. So that's a great bill that got, that went through the last session. Um, but any new bills, um, I will be notified um, by one of the senators that I know. So, no, at this time, there's no bills that are going through, except for the housing bill that uh, she wants everybody to watch and be a part of. Because in that housing bill, there is some um, information in regards to felons and stuff getting housing. So she wants everybody to support that bill if they can. And what do you know the name of the bill? I don't have the bill number on me right now. I don't. Um, But it's the big housing bill that they got going through um, in regards to Jay Inslee and all them, the the governor. I I believe it's a huge bill comprised of um, Republican, Democrat, as well as the governor. There's also a UBI pilot program being floated, which I think people should contact their representatives and say, do this. What is that? Go ahead. What is that one? Oh, there's a universal basic income pilot program. I was on the steering committee for it. It, it, It's... Yeah, it's, I mean, so Inslee uh, mandated, I think in 2017, I think he mandated that by 2027, uh, we were supposed to end poverty in Washington. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, one of the proposals was universal basic income. I I don't, I mean, it's going to be a hard sell. I don't know that it's going to go through, but it's, it it is getting, I've, I've got the final proposal. I can send it to you. It's been successful all over the world, hasn't it? I don't. Th- I haven't read anything negative, yeah. but then that's probably because I'm in some sort no, it's, of left wing bubble or something. <laughs> no, it's uh, we. It, it works every time it's been tried, but we still have to study it, not you know, ad nauseum to, to make sure it's going to work this time too. It's like, well, uh, right, yeah. Do you know some of the basic, um, you know, uh, features of the UBI bill that's being floated? I don't remember the amount off the top of my head. Right now, they're just floating a pilot program. I think it's going to be 3,000 people. The The um, challenges with the, with the UBI program is that um, we had to try to structure it in a way that people wouldn't lose their other benefits by getting the money. Right. Um, like Medicaid or right. social. So, so that was a challenge. We didn't want it to be a, a net zero gain for the people who were going to be participating in the pilot program so that that was a big challenge yeah i'll have to go back and, and read the the proposal again it's been it's been over a week since i looked at it so i can't remember anything <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I completely <laughs> empathize with, you know, if it's if you haven't seen it in the 20 last 24 hours it does not exist does not exist yeah it's one of those things it's one of those things that's going to get like uh, uh, floated very quietly and behind the scenes, so that you know certain very loud segments of society don't stand up and go, "Not with my tax money, you're not." So it's it, it's kind yeah. of getting done very very clandestinely at this point. Yeah, if there's any links as well for things you want us to include uh, in the show notes, um, yeah, please please send them over as well. Um, because yeah. that's useful for people if they can click and click on things and read stuff or anything you think is relevant. Yeah, I think it's really important for people. Um, it's we don't we don't tend to do this. Uh, we 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 can like go on Twitter and look at the the drama in the you know U.S. Congress, but I think it's important for people on the state level to know who their state representatives are, to know what bills are being proposed in their state and to have a line of communication with the person who's elected to represent them. Uh, we don't do that very much on the state level. And I think it's really important that we do. A lot of times it's the it's the quiet senators and the quiet representatives who, who aren't constantly in front of the camera who are getting things done. Um, right. at, at least in my experience in Washington, we've got some really good representation here. It's not, it's not like like the the circus of federal level politics, we actually have some some pretty decent representation going on in Washington State, and I think it would be important for people to really know who it is that's representing them, and and contact their representatives and, and let them know, hey, you know, I support this bill. Right. I think one of the things about politics. 
that's often ignored is that, you know, the the most difference you can actually make as a person in politics is with your state and local. Yeah. And knowing yeah. your state and local. And Washington, Washington state is really transparent with with the bills that are uh, being proposed. It, it, like you can go on the website and, you know, exactly where they are in their process, exactly what the bill says, exactly what changes have been made. You can get notified to get updates on any bill that you're interested in. And I, I, th I think it's important for people to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it's it's, you know, everything gets so focused on the federal and the presidency when when the state and local is probably the most influential and individual. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. like for, for what for what we do as far as um like like prison work, there's there's very little that happens on the on the federal level that affects what we do at all. Right. It's all state by state level, I mean, especially reentry. Yeah, I've got like maybe two people on my caseload that are in the federal system and there's very little I can do for them. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is there a reason for that? Like, you know, since again, like, you know, I, I, I'm not familiar with some of the details. So can you talk about why um, federal prisoners are are there's less you can do for them? Most of the people, that, the, the people that I have in the federal system are basically doing life in that system. And oh. um, so there, there's, there's not a lot I can do for them in terms of reentry because one, they wouldn't be coming to my state anyway, and two, they're not releasing. Um, and advocacy for those people gets really difficult with the Bureau of Prisons because it's almost impossible to communicate with the Bureau of Prisons. They do not make that easy. They're not interested yeah. in your input. They're not interested in what you have to say. You're not going to influence them. They're going to do whatever they want, and you have no say. And it's very difficult to actually communicate with the Bureau of Prisons. Yeah. As opposed to DOC, where I, I can't go two days without getting a call from somebody, <laughs> from some counselor or some reentry. Yeah, it's like they're they're pretty, they're pretty um they're pretty open with their communication in Washington DOC, if I'm being honest, compared to especially compared to bureau of prisons i've got a pretty okay. i've got a pretty open line of communication with quite a few people in washington doc so i can at least put a bug in somebody's ear that hey there's a there's a problem over here whether or not they do anything about it i don't know but at least i can get them on the phone yeah right okay okay so yeah that is a major difference um or i guess you know most most federal prisoners are they in for life? Is that the majority of the federal prison population? I don't know. I just know the the people that I correspond with, which is I think I've got two right now. But yeah, okay. I, don't, I don't know the whole demographics for the federal system. I don't I don't imagine that it's full of people who are doing life. But yeah, I I don't know those demographics. Right, but the ones that you know you you are advocating for right now are lifers. Yeah, yeah, and. Gotcha. Uh, they get they get moved around a lot. I end up losing contact with them. I can track them as far as their movement goes. Like I can get on the the website and and track where they're actually being sent or being housed. But oftentimes, like it gets they get they get transferred so often, and you know my letters might catch up to them at some point because the last one I sent was to the last place I knew they were. And it's like okay, well, hopefully that finds you. <laughs> right, right. Whereas right. In, in, with my with with my people in Washington, I can just get on the computer, and email them. They've got e email service in prison here. So, oh, okay, okay. I did not, I did not know that. I know some there. There, it's are... not awesome, but it's there. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it just changed. I lost everything, so I don't know how to get the new one. But yeah. Oh, it but sucks. Yeah. It sucks so bad. <laughs> <laughs> It did that right through the holiday season, so I lost all the people that wanted to email me. I have so many people that uh, just, I just I don't know how to get back on there. Yeah, so, thanks. It should, it should walk you through it. You'll have to set up a different account with Securus, but it, the the whole system is just it's just terrible. I haven't even figured out how to put a reply button on their email service. Oh, oh wow. wow! Yeah, you gotta, yeah. It's, it's really yeah, I mean that that sounds very like nineteen eighty eight. Yeah, <laughs> not even nineteen ninety eight, right? But that feels very nineteen eighty eight. Um, yeah, it, it, it's 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 pretty pretty bad. And like the Securus, it's the it's that's the the company that's running their email service. They also run the video visitation, and they, the 
like their Securus doesn't even support Windows 11. So I keep this old laptop back here so I can actually like video visit with my friend that's still in prison because it's got Windows 10 on it so I can talk to them. It's, like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> So most of most of like the um, issues with reentry and prison reform would be on the state level yeah, rather yeah. than federal yeah, level. For sure, yeah. for our state, yeah, yeah. Because even even somebody on the federal level, if they got, if I happen to have a, a federal prisoner released to King County, I can still find them those resources. Mm -hmm. um, and then those are it's really important for for things to happen at the state level. Because even even there, you know, I, I think it's important for people to, to to be in contact with their representatives. Because, you know, even though like 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 Josh and I both work for organizations that that provides some reentry support, but we're basically doing a job. Both both of us are doing a job we shouldn't have to do. Yeah, I should I shouldn't have this job. I'm I'm uniquely qualified for it, but this the I'm doing something that the state should be doing. Yeah, you know, right, or that you should be a state employee. Yeah, right? at least have a union. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Like we're 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 picking we're picking up the slack for something that should be done by the state. When yeah. We should have these services encoded in law. We just should. Right. But we don't. So here we are picking up the slack. <laughs> Exactly. Well, my position is fully volunteer. Everything I do is volunteer. I've never been paid for it. Um, all I housing, that's it. So all my tribe, my tribe pays the rest. I mean, I, if it wasn't being native, I wouldn't be able to survive. But I'm blessed for that because I can be in this position doing what I'm doing. So that's a good. That that's that's also actually kind of gutting that like you're not you know you're not being paid for all the hard I mean, hard work you're putting in. That's right. But I am getting paid because the end outcome I know is my community is safer and I help somebody just like myself, hopefully obtain the skills they need to be able to get out in the community and do the right thing. Right. Right. I just wish like, you know, I mean, I, I think a lot, not a lot, but a, a fair number of people, you know, with similar experiences would love to have a well-paid job doing what you guys are doing as well. Oh, I'd love it. At this point, yeah. it's just not. I, I actually am very, I'm, I'm fortunate that as small as my organization is, we, we do have some things that other organizations don't have. Um, we've got employees and we have money. And those are rare things in what Josh and I do. <laughs> So. Right, right. Because, you know, that's also probably what kind of limits the, the scope and the expansion of what you guys are able to do. 100%. Yeah, yeah. it does. It, it leaves my hands tied a lot and, it, and it's frustrating. And even even the organization that I work for that, that has some some funds, I still, you know, there are things we don't have, like housing. I refer people to Josh all the time. I mean, that's basically my job is to is to refer people refer my clients to the people who have the things that they need yeah I, I do that that's that's what i do i i send people where they need to go to get what they need so oh absolutely well if you guys you know ever have um fundraisers or anything like that always feel free to send send us a link and we'll put it in on a reddit and uh, social media pages Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We always have fundraisers for our, our organization. So we'd be more than happy to, to spread the word. Our um, website has a big old donate button right on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, so be sure to send me the links to, to your organization so we can put them in the show notes. Um, but we're coming up to, you know, what, almost two and a half hours at the yeah. Um, so I don't know if you have any kind of like closing statements or anything that you would really like for people to um, know or focus on or what kind of anyone that's interested in doing, you know, uh, getting involved in um, helping reentry or prison reform, if you have any advice for them. My advice would be to, to for, for everybody would be to uh, examine what you think you know, stop believing the myths, and go get the actual information about what's going on. That is just step number one. There's no hurdle that we can get over as long as a whole bunch of myths just keep perpetuating. We need to, we need to just 
slay that beast. Yeah, and my thing would just be, you know, give second chances, uh, you know, give, give everybody a second chance. You know, there's people getting out all the time. You know, you don't know who you're coming in contact with. You don't know who the next person you may meet is. Um, so just give everybody a second chance because people do deserve a chance to um, prove themselves and show them that they have actually uh, changed and that they want to change. So, And always, you know, support reentry in your local communities, you know, um, get involved with different reentry organizations, you know, Google different organizations and just get involved. Even if you don't have somebody involved in the judicial system or incarceration or anything like that, still get involved, you know. There's always something to do to change, uh, you know, change someone's life and make it a little better so that we have better, you know, we have better communities, better everything. So that's right. Like to leave. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it is one of the key areas of, if you want to do something for the community, it's one of the most important um, and, and needed areas that people can spend time doing. Yeah. Is, is definitely with, you know, assisting people reentering. Absolutely. It's your community. Participate in it. Yeah. You know, it's it's no different from, you know, helping the homeless. Yeah, you can even make some cake, you know, give cake out. That's right. <laughs> it's important to have cake all around. Exactly. It is, is that like a priced commodity in prison in general, cake? Yeah, cake is a thing. Cake, ice cream, and bubble gum. I mean, I always used to beg my I used to beg guards to give me their bubble gum. I mean, they'd always have packs of it. I'm like, please give me a stick. Please get because you can't have bubble gum in there. So bubble gum was a thing. Uh, <laughs> I, I used to pay. Re I used to pay really well for people who could smuggle fresh vegetables out of the kitchen. Oh, and cheese. <laughs> you know, I did. I did actually hear about. I, I read a short article on how this one guy in prison was had a um, fresh vegetable garden that was he was keeping secret and smuggling fresh <laughs> produce. Oh my goodness. It's a premium. <laughs> yeah, uh, apparently, you know, I, I uh, until until listening to him, I never really fully comprehended the value of spinach. Oh yeah, crazy. yeah, yeah. The thing take for granted, you know, take take for granted. It's crazy sometimes. Yeah. Well, thank you, thank you guys so much. I hope you know this was worth your time, and we really appreciate. Absolutely, uh, it's definitely been an education, and. Uh, Man, it sounds like there's so much work to do <laughs> between where where the world should be and where it is now. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having us, though. I mean, yes, yes, I appreciate the chance and the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, you know, I don't know if you if there is anything that you really you guys really wanted to say that you you know want to put out there. Gifts, you know, just be there for the person that's going through what they're going through, you know, just stand beside them and just support them any way you can. I, I would also, the, the, the last thing I would add is for people to, to really understand that the, the, the prison walls don't separate the good people from the bad people. There are good and bad people on both sides of that wall. That wall is almost meaningless in that context. So. Right. Uh, yeah. Just, just to keep that in mind. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. That is brilliant.